All right, I am, uh, I'm excited this morning to continue in our series on the heart of Christ, where we've been asking ourselves this question, who is Jesus and how uh, does he feel about me? Um, and a couple of weeks ago, if, you were, if you've been tracking along with us, Corey kicked us off and talked about how Jesus is able to sympathize with us uh, in every experience that we go through uh, in our lives that Christ has experienced and, and, and he's able to sympathize with us. And then last week, uh, Dwight preached on the love of Christ. Uh, and, and man, we could, we could spend a lot of time there, but uh, one of the things that stood out is uh, how Christ is for us. Uh, and not just in the past, not just when he was on the cross, uh, but forever uh, until that day that we are with him. Uh, and so this morning, uh, we are going to be taking a look at the emotional life of Christ. Um, now, that might seem like a strange topic. Maybe that's something you haven't considered before. But I think it's an important one because I think practically sometimes when we think about God, we see him as emotionless. And I think this comes out uh, especially sometimes when we think about the suffering that we experience in our lives. And there's, there's kind of two camps that we can fall into as we consider suffering. Um, when we consider two of God's characteristics, his goodness and his sovereignty, we can start to believe that God is good but not sovereign in our pain, that he cares about us deeply, but he's just not sovereign. He's not able to stop the pain and the suffering in the world. And the other end of that spectrum is to believe that he's sovereign but not good, that he's in control, that he could stop it, but he just doesn't care about us, so he doesn't. But that's not the God of the Bible. If you fall into one of those camps, I hope today that you see how deep Christ's heart is for you. Uh, and, and that's what I want to look at, by taking a look at the emotional life of Christ to see through the emotions that he experiences and he experiences them perfectly without sin, right? And we, as humans, can't relate to that. All the sorrow, all the anger, all the, the emotions that we feel are tainted with sin because of our fallenness, but not so with Christ. And so today I want to look at how the emotional life of Christ reveals his heart for us. So that's going to take us to John chapter 11. Uh, so you can turn there now. We're going to be reading verses 17 to 44. And this is the story of Lazarus and his death and then uh, his resurrection by Jesus. Um, so sorry if I'm spoiling the end there for you. Um, before I read verses 17 to 44, let me give you a little bit of context, what happens in the first 16 verses. So main characters of the story, we got Lazarus, his sisters, Mary and Martha, and then of course, Jesus. Now these three were close friends of Jesus. These weren't strangers that he happened upon, uh, but scripture tells us that he loves each of them. So these are people that he knew deeply. Now, Jesus is away in another town. He's, uh, as the story tells us, about two days journey away. And Martha and Mary send for Jesus because Lazarus is sick. However, Jesus delays. He doesn't come right away. And in fact, he waits and doesn't show up in their hometown until four days later. And in the meantime, Lazarus has died. And so that's where the story picks up. So you can follow along with me, verses 17 to 44 of John 11. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany, their hometown, was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. 
Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who was coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, <clears throat> but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So, but, uh, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful account and for this morning and for all those gathered here at the farm and for those gathered online. Father, by your spirit, would you reveal yourself to us this morning? Would you help us to see how deep your heart is for us? As we study the emotional life of Christ, that whatever we are walking in here with, whatever burden we are carrying this morning, Father, we would turn our eyes to you and we would see your heart throbbing for us. Pray this all in your name. Amen. So we begin with, with Mary and Martha. Jesus has now shown up, uh, but he's late. Uh, and Mary and Martha each greet Jesus separately. However, they say the same thing to him. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, from the text, we don't know their tone of voice. And commentators wonder, you know, is this anger from Mary and Martha? Is it just sorrow, a normal grief response? Is it a faith response? Lord, if you had been here, surely you could have saved my brother. Now, we don't know, but it's in the text, and Jesus responds to it, and I think that shows us that there is something there for us. So what is that? Well, can you think of a time 
that you've said words like that to God. God, if you had been here, God, why didn't you do something? Or why did you allow this to happen? Right, your heart is, is, is broken. You've experienced this deep pain. And you're calling out to heaven, asking why. And maybe that's you this morning. You've come here bearing this burden and your heart is, is filled with sorrow or pain or grief, maybe anger. And you're wondering what in the world God has for you. You're wondering why. And I want to say that's okay. When I hear Mary and Martha's words, it reminds me of words that I said to God when I lost my dad. Five, almost five years ago, my dad committed suicide. Um, and it's the deepest pain that I have ever walked through. Um, and I said things like that to God. I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of hurt and betrayal and anger. Now, 13 days before my dad committed suicide, he attempted for the first time. That attempt left my family shocked. It was not something that we saw coming, of course, and we were hurt, we were confused, we were angry. But ultimately, there was a, a gratitude that my, that my dad was still alive. Whatever hurt and shock and confusion we were feeling was sort of tempered by he's still with us. And I remember praying to God, thanking him that he was still alive. And I remember as I was trying to work through, you know, what might the Lord be doing? I remember saying to God, God, if, if there was something that you needed to do in my dad's heart, if, if you needed to take this situation that for me just feels painful and confusing and broken, and you needed to perform some kind of surgery in his heart, then, then not my will, but yours be done. But little did I know that within two weeks, my dad would be gone. And so I was, I was angry with God. I felt betrayed. I felt abandoned. I felt confused and hurt. God, if you knew that this was going to happen, why didn't you stop it? If you could save him from the first attempt, why not the second? God, why didn't you do anything? And I'm willing to wager that all of us in this room have asked questions like that of God. And again, maybe that's you this morning, that whatever pain or brokenness that you are under right now, you're asking, why is he allowing this to happen? Why isn't he doing anything to stop it? But in the account, we see Jesus respond. And how does Jesus respond to those questions, to that statement. He moves towards them. He doesn't run away. He's not intimidated by the question or the emotion behind it. He doesn't try to justify his actions, right? He doesn't look at Mary and Martha or you and I and in cold, you know, a callous way kind of say, if only you were all knowing, you'd understand that I'm about to walk into this room and raise your brother from the dead. Why are you crying? That's not what he does. He moves towards them. He shares their pain. He feels it with them. He weeps with them. 
That's who Jesus is today for you. And so this brings us to really the, the, the focus of, of why we're in this passage. And that's verse 33. Let me read it for us. When Jesus saw her, that's Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. That's the heart of Christ. That's what's happening to him as he steps into our pain and feels that with us. As Jesus moves towards us, it elicits an emotional response from him. He can't help but be moved. Now, we see two emotions at play. The first is his compassion. We see his deep, deep compassion as he moves towards us in our suffering. He weeps with us as he feels the pain that we are walking in. A couple of weeks ago, as Corey was preaching, he referenced the article written by B.B. Warfield called On the Emotional Life of Our Lord. And in that article, he's, he's breaking down Christ's compassion, and he's asking the question, what is the foundation for Christ's compassion? Where does it come from? And he talks about how it flows from his heart for us. That is because his heart is so for us. It's because he loves us so deeply that he's moved to compassion. Now we see this in human relationships as well. It's because I love my wife, Lauren, so much that I can't help but be moved to compassion when I see her hurting. It's what makes me want to move towards her, not away from her. But now even that response is tempered, right? Because of my brokenness, because of my sin, I can't perfectly feel compassion for her. I can't perfectly move towards her and bear her pain with her. But that's not so with Christ. With Christ, he feels that compassion perfectly. And he moves towards us out of his love for us. And so just as the bystanders at Lazarus' tomb, we too, as Christ moves towards us, we say, see how he loves us. When we, can, when we see compassion flowing from his heart, we say, see how he loves us. So that's the first emotion, compassion. The second one might seem surprising, and that's anger. How does compassion and anger, how do those things exist within Christ's heart? Well, really the true meaning of that phrase, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, it's anger, it's indignation, it's rage. Now what's the cause of that? Sin, death, injustice, perceived wrong. Right, it's because Christ is perfectly pure and holy and righteous that when he sees wrong, when he sees injustice, it stirs up in him a rage and indignation towards those things. Warfield commenting on this says, it would be impossible, therefore, for a moral being to stand in the presence of perceived wrong, indifferent or unmoved. Right, it's because of Jesus' perfect justice that he cannot help but be moved to rage over suffering, over perceived wrong. So when he sees your suffering today, when he sees my suffering and the suffering of those that he loves, his heart is filled with anger and with rage at the cause of that. And that is sin. And that rage 
out of that rage flows compassion from his loving heart for us. So when Jesus looks upon me grieving the loss of my dad, when he hears me say, God, why? Why does this happen? When he sees you doing the same, we see his compassion as he moves towards us. But deeper down than that is indignation, rage, saying this is not good. This is what I came to do away with. Listen to this quote from Warfield. It is death that is the object of his wrath, and behind death, him who has the power of death, and whom he has come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but this is incidental. His soul is held by rage, and he advances to the tomb, in John Calvin's words, as a champion who prepares for conflict. The raising of Lazarus thus becomes not an isolated marvel, but a decisive instance, an open symbol of Jesus' conquest of death and hell. What the Apostle John does for us in this particular statement is to uncover for us the heart of Jesus as he wins for us our salvation. Not in cold unconcern, but in flaming wrath against the foe Jesus smites on our behalf. He has not only saved us from the evils which oppress us, he has felt for and with us in our oppression and under the impulse of these feelings has wrought out our redemption. That is Jesus' heart for you and me today. Not cold, unconcerned, but flaming wrath towards the foe. That's the Jesus walking into your suffering today. That's the Jesus moving towards you carrying you, weeping with you. He has looked upon the unnaturalness of sin and death and his anger is evoked and out of that compassion flows from his loving heart. His perfect justice is the foundation for his perfect anger and his perfect endless love is the foundation for his compassion towards us. That is how the emotional life of Christ reveals his heart for you and me today, not just on the cross, not just with Mary and Martha, but for you and I today and until the day that he returns. And so because of that, we say, see how he loves us. So what are some implications of this? Why does this matter? The first is that grief is okay. I think sometimes we believe this lie that grief is a lack of faith. That though by me grieving the loss of my dad, if I'm weeping or sorrowful as a result of that, that, that I have a lack of faith, that I'm not trusting in God's provision. But friends, that's not true. Grief is not a sinful response. It's a natural human response. Christ himself feels it. He was well acquainted with grief and sorrow. He dignifies that response. And just as he weeps, so should we. Grief is not a lack of faith. Secondly, God can handle your emotions and your questions, your doubts, your fears, your anger. And he's drawing you back to him. He wants you to run to him. In our account today, we see Jesus be tender with Mary and Martha. And that's how he is with us Today, he can handle our anger, our doubt. Now, to be clear, he doesn't want us to stay there, but he's big enough 
to handle it. And he's gentle and lowly. These words that we've been continually coming back to in this series, that's who Christ is today. And he's drawing us back to him. So friends, run to him, unabandoned, unrestrained. And if you can't run, fall to him, cry to him. He is for you. And that's why this is good news, because we can go to, to him, because he has made a way. Because of his life, death, and resurrection, we can go to him. Once we were alienated from God, we were enemies of God, but because of what Christ did, because why we take communion when we, rem we remember what Jesus did, because of his blood spilt on the cross, we can go to him. So when your world is falling apart, when you've experienced the sting of sin and death, and when you're wondering where in the world God is, he's with you. He's there beside you. He's feeling that with you. And what's more, he's using that suffering redemptively. He doesn't let it go to waste. God took Sarah's barrenness and birthed a nation. He took Joseph's enslavement and imprisonment and rescued Israel. He used Moses, who was a murderer, to faithfully lead his people in the wilderness. And the ultimate example of this, God uses the rejection, the denial, the betrayal, and ultimately the murder of his son for what? Salvation. Friends, as we read the Bible, we see that God is a God of redemption. He's using all of history and redeeming it and displaying his glory. And that's what he's doing with the suffering that we walk through, whether today or until he calls us home. That is Christ's heart for you today. He feels your hurt, your sorrow, your betrayal, your rejection, your anger. He's moving towards you. He feels that disappointment. He feels the sting of sin and death even more. The emotions that Christ, feel, Christ feels, he feels deeper and more perfectly than us because they're without sin. So not just feeling with you, but he's bringing us to the day in which it will be no more. Friends, let us not forget that one day it will be no more. One of the ways that the Lord has ministered to me through my grief is, is that, a yearning for that day. I can't wait to meet Jesus and to, for him to wipe away every tear. I can't wait until there's no more pain and suffering. I can't. And so it is with us, we yearn for that day. Not just because there's no more pain or suffering, but because we get Christ. I can't wait to experience perfect communion with him. But I can honestly say that if I had not felt the weight of this pain, this grief, I would not feel the same. And that's not a consolation that your grief doesn't matter or some, some fake Christian, you know, buck up, have faith. It's not that. But Christ is with you. He is walking with you. He's feeling your pain 
one day it will be no more. Friends, we live in a time that theologians refer to as the already but not yet. Right? All the promises of Christ's death and resurrection are true. They have been accomplished. Christ himself said it is finished on the cross. They've not yet been perfectly fulfilled in his second coming. So what does that mean? We will experience suffering in this life. And it will be painful and trying. We are not alone. That is good news. Christ is with us. He is carrying us. He's holding us. So friends, run into his arms this morning and until he calls you home or returns. So what are we to do with this? Dean Orland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, that we've referenced often, talks about this. He writes a couple pages at the end to close. And sometimes I think we want to take God's word and we just want to find that application. We find it the action step of, okay, what's, what are the three things that I need to do to, to catch on to this idea, right? But as we study the heart of Christ, I think we miss it if that's what we're looking at. The point of this is to savor Jesus, and that's what Dane talks about, and that's what I'm here to tell you today, to savor the fact that his heart is for you, that he feels your pain, that he dignifies it. He's not in cold, unconcern, or in a callous way telling you to just get over it, but he moves towards you. He feels the bitterness of sin and death. He's felt it to the full, and he has defeated it. And one day, it will be no more. So friends, whether that was a year ago that you were in that place, this morning that you're in that place, or maybe 10 years from now, run to Jesus, fall in to Jesus, and let him carry you and savor his beautiful, glorious heart. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are for us. Thank you that you move towards our pain, that you weep with us, that you feel the betrayal, the hurt, the sorrow with us. And that you are not wasting the suffering that we go through, but you are using it, you are redeeming it, and you are displaying to us and to a watching world your glory. Father, I pray for all of us as we walk through whatever you have in store for us until we meet you. Father, would you help us to run to you? Would you help us not to believe the lies that, that you are cold towards us? The lies that, 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 that think you can't handle our anger or our doubt or our questions. And when we run unrestrained to you, when we fall into your arms and be held, help us to savor you, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.